Welcome to Conscious Communication, the podcast that can help you improve your company's culture and better your team's communication, helping you build more significant relationships. Now here's your host, Philip Bogolub. I have the privilege and honor of talking with Mahesh Grossman. But he told me, because I, I had to get it right, so he's obviously done this before, so it's Mahesh in the flesh. <laughs> I kind of like that. It sounds like a basketball <laughs> player or something like I don't know. So Mahesh is known worldwide for his hypnotic ebook, The One Minute Anxiety Solutions. He is also the creator of the, he's a creator of the Defy Trauma Process. He takes the subconscious men- mentality and emotional, and, and wait, let me start that again. He takes the subconscious mental and emotional and imprints it and transforms it into a unconditional self-love. I'm going to repeat that. It was a mouthful. He takes the subconscious mental and emotional imprints and transforms them into unconditional self-love. It's a lot of stuff. We're going to be talking about a lot of things. He uses hypnosis for anxiety and trauma, but it's a lot of cool stuff. That's why I want to talk to Mahesh. Mahesh, thank you very much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Happy to be here. I'm going to ask you because obviously you didn't wake up in the morning and you said, I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to do, I'm going to be hypnosis and getting into philosophy and, and uh, spirituality. I know there's a lot of stories in your life, but what was that serendipity, that accident, that coincidence that guided you to make you who you are today? And I know there's a lot, but what comes to mind? Well, you know, I had a lot of trauma of my own and I had anxiety. Uh, my form of anxiety was free. And one time I was so frozen, I was a ghostwriter for a long time. And uh, I was working on a book on a deadline. And I went to, I like to write in Starbucks. And I found that I had this sensation in my body that was really difficult. And uh, I wound up frozen in the car for three hours in the parking lot. And uh, I didn't know what to do, you know. And I finally got out of the car because I got hungry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I went for dinner and I got a half hour of writing in, which was, and then, and then the feeling came back. So I, I didn't know exactly what it was, but after I studied hypnosis and then studied anxiety, I discovered it was, I, it was anxiety. And so I was really good. I mean, I had, I'd been to like 21 therapists in my life and I had some skills that I had picked up. One of my therapists let me attend a class he was teaching for uh, people who were becoming therapists on that involved kind of body-oriented approach to psychodrama, which basically means you, you, you kind of connect to what's going on in your body as a way to get to your subconscious mind. And then you, and then you take what shows up, the neg- whatever the negative experience was, and you actually act it out with someone else and give yourself a new, a new flavor uh, of the experience. And, and, and your mind doesn't actually know the difference between what happened in the past and what you picture in your mind now, which I've shortened the whole process by using a kind of a hypnotic version of that, where you do that in your mind and you don't need the other people anymore you can just do it for yourself and it's much faster because this other way you have to like feed them the bad things to say and then you have to feed them the good things to say right and you have to get people involved right not well, a lot of people want to get involved with that well no. i mean it's, it's okay if you can find a psychodrama group but 
this way you get it to work. And also, it's it's really an interesting thing is the subconscious version of your parents that are totally etched in your mind are not going to say what you want them to say. So at any rate, I was so good at the psychodrama stuff because I had had 300 hours with this one therapist. So nobody in the class was nearly as good as I was because <laughs> I'd been on the other side of it so long. Right. At some point, I wanted to do groups doing that. And I, a therapist in California who I was friends with told me, hey, you got to overcome, there's a license issue. The psychology board is coming after people who are saying they're doing these things, even though they're not calling it therapy. So I looked at the law and the law said the one thing that gets you that besides psychology that allows you to work with the subconscious mind is hypnosis. And so I, I looked for hypnosis school and what I discovered was all the things I could already do were way more effective when you hypnotize them. I mean, they were originally effective, but there was a much deeper level when you got people to a deeper state. And so that's why I became a hypnotherapist in, in a very long fashion. <laughs> but this is the most honest I am about it because it's sometimes it just feels too boring to tell this story. No, <laughs> no, that's why, you know, the whole idea of conscious communication we talked about before the record button was hit was how do we conscious how we consciously communicate from the inside out and it's so important for me to learn the audience to learn to everybody you don't learn by talking you learn by listening and one of the things that you hit on was so important a big thing in the philosophy of Ajinoy is your imagination if you can't use your imagination we were told when we were kids like at 4 5 6 years old stop it pay attention and you shut that thing down and that was the thing that you know, you were drifting, you weren't listening, you were in another world, you were somewhere else. And because, not, not that it's bad, we had to learn how to read and write and do things and drive and, and be in relationships and all that stuff. But we shut it down and the conscious and subconscious just mirrors of each other. And if you bring that thing alive, that subconscious, that imaginational mind that God has given you, that thing that or whatever, Christian or whatever you want to call it, I tell people that I'll just over 115 names that I've come out with uh found with that they've called god there's no right or wrong name it's just it is well you like, haven't do, you haven't done india <laughs> I don't know there's, a hundred, there's a thousand and eight names for every god <laughs> oh my god i see because there's 38 names in the bible there's all sorts of different names that i come across with um uh, groups of people that don't even exist on the planet earth anymore i'm like wow i'd never heard of that one and as somebody I told, I said, it's the force is not just for Star Wars. There's a group that I don't remember where, what country it was, but it's a small country that calls it the force. So you, whatever it is, you've got to tap into that. And once you tap into that, it's interesting how you say that using your imagination, I call it the imaginational mind, using your imagination. We don't, we don't go to the mind. It's the last thing we go to. And you're right. You want to find people that are going to act it out. They're going to do something with you. Well, it's not always easy and it takes a lot of time. Well, that's the, the, it's actually more effective when you when you do it for yourself. I've found that it goes faster and deeper. And here's the interesting thing, okay? So we talked about these things that people did that stop you, right? So you, you were talking about the things that people stop you from having using your imagination when you say. So anything that someone did to stop you is deeply etched inside your mind. And so the when I work with people, either live one-on-one -on -one in Zoom sessions, or when people use my course where I've had people have experiences that I was jealous that they got without me from my Defy Trauma course. <laughs> it's like, holy crap, that's one of the top five things 
anyone ever did in all my sessions. <laughs> and I was there. Should I feel guilty or proud? <laughs> <laughs> so what happens is I use the body as a way to connect to the subconscious mind. And so we get to a point where you see whatever it is that makes you anxious or triggered or upset. And you see when it happened and what it happened. And then you say, blank, it really hurt me when you blank or blank, it made me mad when you blank. So mom, it really hurt me when you criticize me all the time. Right. Here is the fascinating thing that happens 100% of the time. Mom who's only there in your mind, right? There's no other mom there. It's the mom in your mind will say to you, well, I thought you needed that. I was trying to make you better. Or uh, mom, you know, or uh, that's how my parents treated me. Right. Or, or she just gives you a dirty look after you say, <laughs> mom, it really hurt me when you criticize me all the time. Okay. And so the work in this five-step defy trauma process is to undo those messages Till we get to a point where mom actually said, either mom or I use an understudy sometimes. These are so deeply etched in our mind. Sometimes we have to replace mom with uh, Beyonce or you're right, or or Phoebe from Friends, right, right, or Meryl Streep if you're high class. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it all depends on who you relate to. I have right. trouble. I was working with a 15 year old, and I was like, I don't know who to even suggest because I don't know what 15 year olds watch. TV anymore. SpongeBob. But he had I don't Winnie know. the Pooh to play the role of his mother, and I said, "Oh, well, that makes it interesting." I never really Winnie is a female name, really. I, I don't. Well, it's both. I guess you're right. In, in yeah, London it might it. be a male name, but right. in the U.S., Winnie is is a is a female, female name. name. So, but what what that does is it takes away the leftover belief. You're so stuck. Sometimes our parents in our mind are so stuck that we can't yes. use them. Yes. And so what we do is when you say mom, eventually you get to the point where you say, mom, it really hurt me when you criticize me all the time. And depending on which path you take, whether it's, you know, the multiple steps it takes with, with your actual mother or the understudy, usually it's pretty fast. Mom will eventually say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I never should have done that. I love you. You're a great kid. And I won't do it again. And this all happens in your mind. Some of it, uh, it may not be all of those things right. at once, some, but you'll have a, a really visceral spot, response where you'll see as an aha moment, not something you're doing on your own, but something that just automatically happens without your controlling it, that right. mom will hug you or, do, or she'll say, I love you, I'm sorry. And then I'll, I'll add, you know, see if she's willing to say this. Right. And it completely lifts these things that are running us and it takes the anxiety away in that particular sentence because because all of anxiety has a core wound or an original seed yeah it's like somebody threw a seed at you and it planted a tree inside you yeah and you can't just cut down the tree you have to like pull the seed out and toss it in the sun or into the core of the earth yeah and well, this is this is part of how you do that oh well the, the whole thing is um you can find out where it came from, but you're still stuck with it. So when I do, for me, when I do seminars and people are asking me you know, different parts of the philosophy and the belief system and, and different ways for imaging and, and all this other stuff, it's like, you know, unfri- you had a class talking about unforgiveness is worse than forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard to do because we hold on to that unforgiveness. Somebody just, like you said, fill in the blank. 
doesn't matter. Story is not important. You fill in the blank. Somebody did you wrong. And you have that somewhere that you're using that your whole life. And there's so many things that can be stopping you from getting to whatever you want to go to in your life. Relationships, money, family, house, car, whatever you're doing. It doesn't really make, again, fill in the blank. And you don't realize that these things are being stopped by something in your mind, that you have a permanent folder sitting there and that image is coming up. Because I've had people that are no longer here on, on this frequency. And I had to, for me, I go through my process and procedure and I have that imaging and I forgive them. They forgive me because guess what? Takes two. And a lot of times we just simply misunderstand the communication by interpreting it in a way that's negative. It's nothing bad. It's nothing good. It just is. But once you release that person in your mind, maybe Phoebe from friends, it could be, I love that because it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter. If you release that, or when, I should say, when you release that, doors will open. Now, I'm not saying big, giant, big, bulky doors, because life comes in little steps, not giant steps. And people go, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to that million dollars, and I don't care how I get there. I don't care if I step on everybody. Going about it the wrong way. You need to un- enjoy the process. Enjoy the steps. And when you enjoy the steps, you feel the release from it. Because even if someone's alive, they might not have the capability or inside them or compassion or what I'm not being negative about them to be able to forgive you or forgive themselves. Here's here's the actual truth. Go. It's not ever really about the person 30 years later. Good point. It's about the person that lives inside you. Wait, say that again. I want everybody to hear that, including me. The person you want to feel love from isn't, isn't the person who hurt you that's alive in a different body. I mean, our body changes every nine years into 100% new cells. That person isn't even alive anymore. It's the person that did whatever they did when you were three or four or seven or 16 or 21 that you need the help with. And here's the thing. I, forgiveness for me is, is a double-edged sword. There's forgiveness that's mental, and there's forgiveness that's in the body. And until you, and it's really not up to you, you have to do the work for the forgiveness to happen automatically. And, and there's, there's this paradox with forgiveness. The paradox of forgiveness is I know my parents had crappy childhoods that made them, that, that they had no choice but to do the things they did to me as an infant. And um, there was no other way this life was going to happen. And so on that level, I forgive them. On the other hand, while I'm still carrying anger and grief and fear from the things that happened to me, then it's my job to allow those things to show up. And I can't stop. If, if I try to forgive somebody, it's like eating a pear that's not ripe. But worse than that, it's more like eating crap <laughs> instead of the ripe pear. Right. It's, it's like you're stopping yourself. There's so much spiritual bypass, which is like that. trying to intellectually do what you think is spiritual instead of actually being aware of what you're feeling inside yourself 
And these feelings show up in layers. So, I mean, I've been working on myself for 37 years and there are pieces of work that I've done that have been the last six years. And there have been layers upon layers where I, the, the most important layer that you don't actually get to sometimes is just how unloved it made you feel. Whatever they did, there's this sense of not feeling loved. And, and that not feeling loved, even that comes in different layers. Hmm. So you have to allow your, well, you don't have to, you can be however you are because spiritual bypass is, you know, that's where you are. Right. Until it's time, until your, your subconscious says, oh, it's time for me to change. And then you change. You don't actually do any of this stuff yourself anyway. It, it's like the, the idea comes to you. And where do ideas come from? Who the freak knows? <laughs> it's like you're walking by a river and, a, and you get splashed. And now you have the idea. I mean, I right. saw this in meditation once. I was like, I had the words, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm in my thoughts. But I had the awareness that I was in my thoughts prior to that, in a nonverbal fashion, in a kind of knowing that I didn't know I knew. But I realized it in, in this particular case. It was with Ajashanti, if you're familiar with him. He's a very strong spiritual teacher. And um, so we don't, we, don't, we don't know what we don't know until it's time to know it. It's like our subconscious. I had a therapist once tell me the subconscious gives up what it wants to give up when it wants to give up, give it up. And it's just so true. I, my, my ex-wife was molested by her father four times in the middle of the night when she was 14. And we spent years talking about this. And every time she would talk about him, I would see my grandfather. And so I kept asking myself, did my grandfather molest me? And I kept getting the answer, no. I'm talking about over a 15-year period. Oh, wow. And one day, uh, I think on my birthday in 2012, I suddenly knew without doubt that my grandfather had molested me as an infant. And I, all these feelings came up. And then, I mean, I remember one day it was like, it was like I could see a movie screen in my head with his face on it. I was so angry. I was going to a movie and I was, I had road rage on the way there and the way back. That's not <laughs> Going to a movie, I was fine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but it was very powerful. And, so we have these things, and, and when it's time to uncover them, we can. And so, I mean, I know a lot of people will say, well, I think everybody should do the work, or why weren't my parents as conscious as I am? You know, if I were them, I wouldn't have done the things they did. And it's like, no, if you were them, you would have been them. <laughs> yeah, what you don't know, you don't know. I mean- Yes, and what you're not capable of, you're not capable of. Yeah, you only have the information you, you have at the time is the only thing you can use. And, and, and I mean, I've known people that have, were raised in alcoholic families and, you know, they didn't know why. One person told me, said, said, well, his father was an alcoholic and he beat him. And there's, there's, yeah. you can get into the stories as deep as you possibly can. You don't really know why. You'll never really even know why. Even well, if you tell somebody. the interesting thing. In my work, people discover why. Interesting. It's really fascinating. We have this innate ability to know things that we shouldn't know. I had a woman who knew that the reason some guy bullied her when she was in kindergarten was because 
her mother, his mother wanted a girl and he was a boy. And also that they loved her brother, his brother, rather they loved his brother more than they loved him. He was like, not his brother was a favorite, not him. And that was the source of bullying. There's no way she would have any like intellectual understanding or that she was, she was very imaginative in her own way, I suppose, but not as imaginative enough, not imaginative enough, yeah, not imaginative enough to come up with that. Right. I, I had a, I had someone discover why his mother stayed with his father who was mentally ill all the time because she was, everybody dispro- disapproved of the marriage. And she was too embarrassed to, to end it, even though she wound up drinking herself to death by being with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I, I've got so many stories. One guy who was 70-something years old, his mother came home on a, on a stretcher, on a gurney, and no one would tell him what was wrong. This had affected him his whole life, and it happened when he was three, and he never knew what happened. He suddenly, because you're in this kind of altered state, he knew without doubt that she had had an abortion, an illegal abortion, and no one told him, and no one, you know, everybody was paying attention to her, and it was it had terrified him. So we we can find out why people do the things they do to you know to the extent that we can. It's not, you know it's more of a sentence than it is a a book. A book might be a little worse, but it's still very satisfying. But not only is it satisfying. It also takes away the part of us that thinks it's our fault. There's a subconscious part of us that believes everything bad that happened to us is our fault, because that's how children operate. And we still carry that inner child with us. And so that's part of the process that that helps. Because and, and my whole five-step defy trauma process is about getting rid of the belief that it's your fault because when your mother inside you says when you say, says well i really you needed that criticism i was helping you and you didn't need that criticism that was a flaw in her <laughs> but you're still carrying that because it shows up a hundred percent of the time and every time i it's not even every session multiple times in every session we get to a parent or a bully or a coach who we still believe without knowing whatever negative thought they have. And, well, these so, things are they're they're rooted very deeply and you're you you go through life with so many things and it's good that you have something that can can, can get to it, but you also have to get past it. Um and and well and this is about release you, you don't have to get past it. You just well, have I mean, to release it like you said just get now now but you can still have that knowledge of knowing where it came from, but how do you simply go, well, I'm just not going to let it bother me? Well, you don't even need, it's not about that. So, so all of the things that are really happening is that we're carrying leftover emotional tension in our body and leftover beliefs about ourselves in our body. And so it's not, it's not that you think yourself out of it, and it's not that you think about it over and over again. Once you're no longer feeling crappy, about what happened once all the negative stuff is out of you you feel a remarkable sense of peace uh, one of my clients well actually she's the one who had the remarkable experiences in australia using my course she said it's a feeling quite similar to love to being in love 
I don't know, depending on how you are. It's an unconditional joy that shows up. Now, it doesn't necessarily stay. Otherwise, I would charge a lot more. <laughs> Six well, figures at least. It's kind of like when you buy fall in unconditional love. love. I mean, when you're falling in love and, and, and you, it's like when people talk about sex and relationships and it's wonderful, it, 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 it peters out very quickly. Don't well, you pick your damn underwear up? But it's more of an unconditional joy. Yeah. And that's that's a profound feeling. True. It is it's either unconditional joy or just a sense of great peace. Well, but the joy the joy also comes to I mean with love, unconditional love, you know, you do things um like for my wife, I'll make her a cup of coffee in the morning. I'll I'll do you know, clean the shower, whatever whatever thing, put fill in the blanket as we've been talking about. You do something for somebody else that makes them feel good because you know it makes you feel good because you're doing it and vice versa. And it's not like you're doing this all the time. Uh, one of one of the little things I do with my wife, and this is just me, obviously, is uh, I don't get flowers at birthdays and anniversaries. Those are stupid. You already expect we don't do anything. We go out to dinner. But once in a while, when I'm going, I let the spirits guide me. I let the angels and spirits guide me in, in my, my system, in my mind. And when I'm going to the grocery store, I go past it and something says, get some flowers. I get it. And it's it and I come home and we've been working from home for me for years. And I'll put it in something that so when she comes down for lunch and I make lunch, it's it's there. Oh, that's really not so that unconditional thing, those things that when you do more for somebody else, when you empower somebody else and empowers yourself, when you do unto others, all that type of stuff. And it's interesting you say that you're not you're just released enough. You know, I, I don't need to beat myself up anymore for this because I did not cause it. But you're right. If you really want to look at what's going on in your mind, take a look at your body. Yeah, and it's an energetic thing. It's not like you don't want to beat yourself. You, you no longer have the capacity to do so. Ooh. It's gone. All this stuff takes stuff that you're carrying out of you. Okay. And that's the whole purpose and the whole purpose process this is why people tell me you know three sessions with me is better than 20 years of psychoanalysis <laughs> quite literally someone said said that to me it's cool. and people have said this is like finishing school for the inner work that i've done my whole life it's we're we're removing everything that doesn't belong there yeah, but and you, it's, I mean, not, it's not, it's not like one and done, done, obviously no so and you're not it's not wiping out immediately this is a lifetime experience you, this is life but each piece of it's like a spoonful of water out of a, a well. So each piece does remove something. And for some people, it doesn't take long for them to have a, a profound sense of peace. And, you know, my biggest problem is that I'm too good at what I do because they don't come back. They, yes, there's a point where it's not necessary to come back. So. The other thing that, that I do that's a little bit different, and by the way, if you want just a sense of how to get to the underlying wound, that's whatever triggers you or makes you anxious. I have uh, something I give away for free called the Emotional Overload First Aid Kit. And everything you need to find about me is at anxiety123.com. I wanted to make it as easy as 123 to remember, because not everybody listens to a podcast in a place where they're going to check out your show notes right right i i listen on the on the the treadmill and on in my car right so i i'm and and also i've heard so many people with really hard to remember websites so i got anxiety123.com to link 
to everything you need. You can follow my Instagram and my TikTok. And you can get my freebies. You can take a quiz to see how hypnotizable you are. You can find my One Minute Anxiety Solution ebook with 57 ways to lower anxiety in a minute. You can find my Defy Trauma course, which yeah, people have had profound experiences with. And, and one woman wrote to tell me, oh my God, this is the most organized, simple thing I've ever used. Because yeah, <laughs> it's very step-by-step. Step. Right. Remember, I used to be a ghostwriter for how-to books. So I have this natural talent for kind of organizing be. things. Yeah, yep. I, I got my first book when I didn't had never even written a book. I'd have written was college papers, and somebody asked me to write an outline for a book that was failing. <laughs> it was a second book for somebody, and they'd gone they had three tries at making it get published. And I wrote an outline, and the publisher said, "Okay, I'm interested." <laughs> so, <Very cool. laughs> so it's just that's why my course is so simple to use. And then you can also book a, a free consultation with me on that site. And if you're looking to do more, you know, deeper work, one-on-one -on -one work is the most powerful way to go, to go through stuff if you want the company. Although I'm telling you, this woman in Australia, she emailed me stuff about her experiences with the course. And I was like, whoa, this is, <laughs> I wish she had done them while I was with her so I could say this is what we did together. Yeah. But it's great testimonials for the course. One of the steps that I find very important that gets ignored in not just traditional therapies, but most alternative therapies as well, comes from a, what's called a, a shamanic practice that's called a soul retrieval. And this is a practice that gets used in native cultures. And it's a terribly named thing because you're not retrieving your soul. Although the way they do it is you, you have this long visual visualization you do where you have difficulties and then you eventually grab this thing back. But I do it in a very simple way where you open a present and it's so easy. It's just so easy. You, it's, only, it's my fifth step. It's like, and I do it in a lot of sessions and it typically takes five minutes unless there's like huge resistance, in which case then it takes 15 minutes. <laughs> and what, what this does is it unsquashes something that you've repressed, some sense of self-love, some sense of joy, some sense of uh, creativity, some sense of confidence, some sense of safety. And it, it, we squash these things when bad things happen. You know, it's just like it's not safe. A, a little kid learns it. Like you were talking about imagination. A little kid learns that it's not safe to express their imagination. Right. And so they squash it. Right. So in this process, we get it back through kind of a symbolic thing when we open the present and there's some questions I ask. And then you put it, the object typically in your body, though sometimes it's something to wear and then you wear it. And then you keep that, that becomes, it, there's a, a tingling kind of energy that comes with it. And once you spread that energy with, with throughout your body, you become changed. The most extreme example uh, probably I'll ever have was a woman whose husband had been murdered at work for 20, and, and she'd been depressed for 20 years. And it was somebody new that murdered him too. And um, so we did this process and she got rubies. And a question I like to ask is to ask the rubies if they need anything from you in order to stay with you forever. And the rubies said she needed self to allow love in. 
She just needed to allow love, and she was cutting herself off from love. And I asked her, are you willing to do that? And she said, no. So I have a series of things I do that find the places where you resist what you need. And I took her, I, I call this, this is the third step, which is the remove obstacle step in the defy trauma process. And I took her through these very standard things that I do that anyone can do for themselves if they know how to do it. But, you know, and sometimes you have to color outside of the lines. So <laughs> there's some places of resistance where I have to be a telemark. I was actually a really good telemarketer. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I got donations for like the Metropolitan Opera and Columbia University. Oh, wow. And the Art Institute of Chicago that way. But so you color outside the lines because if the resistance doesn't, if the standard things don't work, you have to start playing around and find out what will work. Right. But eventually we got to a point where she was willing to allow love in. And she'd come to me in a bunch of stuff, and she looked very peaceful. I didn't think anything serious, anything special had happened. She just looked as peaceful as pe people do at the end of a session when we worked together. So we just, she came back the next week and she had worn gray sweats every single session. She'd been with me about six sessions before. She came in in this beautiful pink top with brand new blue jeans. And then she said to me, I had dinner with my son last night, and he didn't recognize me. Ah. Her son had been nine years old when his father had been killed, and he was 29 now. He had had a his mother had been depressed for the entire time. This was the first time he saw her. This was the first time he saw her looking normal and happy. And it's because when you unsquash, that's the technical term, <laughs> when you unsquash the parts of you that you've squished, another <laughs> technical term, yeah, another, um, yeah. it changes you profoundly. And I don't see, you know, I, and uh, I don't see many people doing this work. The, the, the soul retrieval people do it, but it takes hours and hours and it's complicated and it's, I wasn't very good at soul retrieval when I was, I, I took a course and, and I just, I wasn't good at doing it that particular way for myself. And I found that there's just, I'm pre really good at shortcuts. So I put together this step-by-step -step process that unfolds in a way that people have vast tra transformation every single session. In fact, in, in one session, because it's so um, condensed, you, you wind up doing things, multiple things. So, so let's say, you know, you, we talk about something that made you anxious, uh, you know, going to, you know, giving one of these talks, brings, you know, so let's say you're one of these people who has a fear of public speaking. So and I get you to notice in your body, and, you, and then you say, and we find out, you know, how old you were the first time when whatever it was that happened, and we find out what it was, and you feel it, you felt it in your stomach, let's say. Then we finish the process, and your stomach feels lighter. It's not as strong, but there's still something there. So then we go back to your stomach, and you notice, and you notice that feeling. Is well, how old were you the first time you had this feeling, which is different from the first feeling? And we get to another event. And sometimes the feeling, and, and, and then we clear that, and then sometimes the feeling moves to your throat, let's say. And right. so we work on that. But by the time we do that a few times, 
suddenly something that has bothered you your entire life that has had multiple things that affected you stops affecting you anymore. I mean, it, it all depends. I've gotten rid of people's phobias in, in one session. I had a woman who had a fear. She's the mom of an all-star center fielder for, my fa- for the Baltimore Orioles, and she had a fear of needles, and she was diabetic, which is oh. a really big problem. And we got to the root cause in about 10 minutes, and, what was, and, and she did uh, some homework for about a week, and she was over her fear of needles. And uh, she was able to take her, she was able to cut back on her insulin. And she actually lost 160 pounds. And she messaged me on Facebook that this was the start of her getting over the 160 pounds. Um, so it, it, it's these kinds of things. So, but on the other hand, I had a woman who was claustrophobic. And I normally tell people I can do phobias in three to five sessions. And, um, and generally, most people who work with me, it's only every other week. After, after the first few sessions, it's like we do so much in one session that it takes a couple of weeks to absorb it all. This woman, we were doing sessions twice a week. She was able to, with, she, was, she had done enough work on herself that she could handle it. Okay. And, but it took us 18 sessions. And we were doing everything from, you know, childhood stuff to past lives to, to getting rid of energy she took in from other people. And on the 18th session, it was so interesting. She, had, she, was, had a, she was uncomfortable about locking bathroom doors in public. And it turned out to be something, with all the deep work we did, the most important thing that kind of finished it all was something that happened in junior high in, in the bathroom. And so it's like, as I said, the subconscious gives up what it wants to give it up when it wants to give it up. Yeah. So, you know, I, I no longer am able to say, hey, I, I know for sure, you know, typically it's three to five sessions and maybe a little more. It's like, oh, it takes as long as it takes. But the thing is, when you work with someone like that, their, they, their level of contentment completely changes. She stopped seeing me, even though she was doing really profound work every time. She was like, I'm just too happy. I don't have anything else I want to work. That's right. showing up. Significant, right. Yeah. Not even significant. I just, I don't feel any tension I'm in my fine. Right. I'm fine. Right. Because when I work with somebody long-term, we don't work on any particular thing. I just say, hey, notice where you feel tension in your body. And I'm an empath, so I feel the tension in my body that they're feeling. And um, and just how old were you the first time you had that? And and. Where were you? What was going on? And the how old are you is like, were you zero to 10 or were you 11 and older? And then we just kind of split the difference. Some people know. Some people, we have to do a lot of different splitting to get there. Okay. But you're willing but to But when it. we get to the edge, it's like, well, where were you? Who were you with? What was happening? Why were you upset? And then, and then this roller coaster ride begins. Yeah. That is exhilarating. It's exhilarating to change your life that way, to lose a piece of something that's been holding you back. And then it's not a matter of whether you think about you you think I need to forgive this. It's it's forgiven. Because and it's not about the story. You don't really have to deal with the story. I had a woman who she saw an image of her father changing her diaper. And we, she had no idea what it was. And like, we didn't have to go there. We just had to go with, well, what are you feeling? And then we work with the feeling. What do you want to say about the feeling? Dad, it really hurt me. When you, Dad, it really made me mad. When you 
acted out at me. We were pretty sure it was something, you know, he acted out in some way. Right. So, um, and so you don't get re-traumatized when you do this process. Because the trauma that happened to you isn't really the important thing. The story of what happened to you isn't what's affecting you now. What's affecting you now is kind of the leftover conflict, the leftover emotions, the leftover internalized story, the leftover beliefs you're carrying because of what happened. So when you work with those things, everything about it disappears. You know, all these things that you're talking about, I mean, you don't know how it's affecting your life in different ways. You, yeah, you've got no, you don't, you don't remember to remember, you have to, you don't remember to remember what you need to remember. Right, right. And, and then they come out in different ways and, you know, again, fill in the blank, bad relationship, bad job, uh, not enough money, whatever, whatever that is for you. And like I said, it's, it, it's, you know, you want to know what your mind's going through, take a look at your body. Um, is there stiffness? And that's the way I look at it. Is, is, is you know, are you dealing with sleeplessness? Are, you know, uh, dry eye, uh, I don't know, just whatever you want to pick. Again, fill in the blank. And there's so many different things that I go through all the time with constantly going through through my meditation and prayer for me, what I do. And they're deep. Then I go, oh, oh, I, and, and sometimes, because I'm doing it my, for myself. And, right. and I'm teaching people the seminars, the, 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 the process procedure I have, but I'm doing it all the time for myself. And I learn more by talking to you. I learn more by talking to people. I learn by, by all sorts of different things. And, you know, it's, you just keep going, well, why am I doing that? What, what am I supposed to learn from this? What am I supposed to get out of it? And I analyze it and, and I look at things and I go into meditation. Because to me, for me, it's super important for me to be in meditation and, and, and sleep and, and, and just figuring out that's when I get those pictures, those images, those, those things for me. Um, no outside influence, no music. Sometimes there's a little something in the background, but I have like some shamanic music or some some lighting that's a, my color spectrum of light that makes me relax. Or I'll just play music because I'm a music composer. But I'm usually in that state where I'm just in quiet. There's nothing going on. One of my favorite buttons on a cell phone is airplane mode. I need silence. And that's one of the things that we don't do enough. And obviously in your sessions and what you're doing and the gift that you've been given, is to be able to make a, peop a difference in people's lives uh, in, in a very profound way. And that's why I want to talk to you because you're doing it through something very, very different uh, and you're doing it quickly. You're the old saying, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. And it's more, you know, it's like kind of like when you go on the internet, you can make a million dollars in five minutes. No, you can't. But anyway, it, it, and even if you did, it's, it's, you, know, you find out it's a bunch of horse hockey. You, you want to be able to find out factual information, things that are holding you back from whatever. And it could be so obvious, but what was that thing that somebody was talking about yesterday about computers? It's only intuitive if you know what the hell to look for. You know, I- Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, sometimes you just get a, an aha moment. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, but it's, it's not it's, intellectual. It's just an aha moment. Yeah. You know, the thing is, two things. Number one, when you move these things out of your body, I've had clients say my back pain is- gone yeah and we weren't even working on i mean i right. hypnosis as well we don't work you know these sessions for most people it's it's not it's not the pain management um but the other thing is that you just know things in a different way through this process and you it, there's a just a tra every time we do it if there's stuff there to do that it 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 transform you i had one client where we had really 
great sessions the first couple of sessions and then you know they were there was wasn't as much there to work on at that particular moment and so at a, you know at a certain point we were done because it, we, it wasn't the, the transformation that was necessary wasn't there right and then again that comes back to the subconscious gives up what it wants to give up right. when it wants to give it up i'm sure you know we all have stuff so well, and not me no. us, <laughs> <laughs> and some of us have more stuff than others right so you know or or more stuff that we just need to work on right whereas other people aren't ready you know if my mother had got it you know my mother wouldn't have been capable of doing the work i do with people because her trauma was so profound and her abandonment wound was so incredibly profound that she just couldn't go there. She would have felt like she was going to die. So, yeah, she didn't do this work. She wasn't meant to do this work. Right. I think there's a meant to quality to these things. Yes. So that's why I don't judge anyone who doesn't do it because if they were meant to do it, they'd do it. They'll do it. And yeah, yeah. I, I don't judge myself when I have a session that doesn't work. Right, because yeah, right, and it, it's you know people get what they want to get. You said like you said this, and, and I'm not proud of myself when it does work because there's something besides there's something that's happening that was supposed to happen. Very true. It was a purpose and a reason why we're talking today. It's a purpose. Yeah, why the bird yeah. flew by. It's a person and a reason why you met somebody. Um, there, there's all sorts of reasons, but you have to be open to them. It is a little uncomfortable. Sometimes it is uncomfortable, whatever you're revealing for yourself. But sometimes just going through that uncomfortableness releases it. Like you said, it's just it's gone because then they're like, it's interesting. Your sinuses don't bother you. Your head doesn't bother you. Your, your back doesn't bother you. You're sleeping better. You're, you, you, know, you have a better appetite. Yeah. You lose weight. I mean, there's all sorts of symptoms that might not have anything to do with the original trauma at all. But the symptoms are showing up in a different way, and you didn't know that, and suddenly things just boop, go away. Well, the, the, they're where you're storing stuff in your body. Yeah. And it's not like we have control of when they come and go. I had really bad Achilles heel stuff for about six months, and I was continuing to do, I do my work. It's a daily thing. I don't have much choice. It just, you know, I wake up, there's something to do, I do it. And I did it. And did it and did it. And, and I knew, like, traveling pain, if you have any traveling pain, there's a psychological aspect to it. If it's not staying in one place, it's not just physical. That's one of the bigger clues. And so, and this was sort of traveling. And then it took about six months, and then all of a sudden it was gone. Because sometimes there's stuff that you're working on that's just too hard to, to, to do it all at once. It's too hard to be conscious of it. Uh, it's a process, and it does it does what it wants to do, not what you want it to do. Yeah, and you need to give it sometimes. Sometimes it takes time, and uh, sometimes it it's great if it's fast, but if it isn't, it isn't. Um, Mahesh from the flesh, we could be talking for hours about this because I love your stories and how you communicate is just wonderful. That's one of the reasons I really wanted to talk with you because it's how you consciously communicate from your mind and your soul and your spirit. And, and your energy. So I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And again, if you go to anxiety123.com, you can get my free emotional overload first aid kit. You can take a quiz to see how hypnotizable you are. You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok where I give a lot out for free uh, that most more than most people think. <laughs> and, 
and and also if you if you're inclined to want to explore one-on-one sessions there's a free consultation thing you can click and uh, my defy trauma course if you'd like to just see what how to do what i'm talking about it's relatively inexpensive for the as these things go and you actually get to see me do sessions with people in the course well if you if you if you want to get past something and you know that something's holding you back from going to that next level from cra- crashing through that ceiling or that glass whatever you want to call it check them out go to anxiety 123 i would add 123 all the way to 1000 um, but anxiety one two three. Mahesh is M A H. Memorable is a big deal. Yes, exactly. Mahesh is M A H E S H. Look it up, and if you're driving or if you're exercising, check it out in the show notes. Check check out his website. Check out with this. This is why I was attracted to this because I have this whole thing is a spiritual journey for me. Um, I'm coming almost to the one year anniversary of the of the show. Not that I'm going to have an anniversary party, but it's kind of cool because I've learned so much about myself. Things are changing in my life and my business and my stuff and all this. And it's, it's just amazing. And if you go down this road, check them out. If this helps you, check it out. So again, Mahesh, I want, Mahesh in the flesh, I want to thank you very much. Go to Anxiety123. And I, I want to tell people, like I always do at the end of every podcast show, remember, it is more important to express your thinking thoughts and not the thoughts you are thinking. That's what Mahesh has been talking about, not the noise. That is what is called conscious communication. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Conscious Communication. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also get more great information at ConsciousCommunicationPodcast.com.